Welcome to Pello Talk. Uh, I think this is the 59th episode since we started The Good Source. And um, tonight, I've just confirmed we will be having Craig Kelly as a guest. And uh, he's going to confirm for me. Uh, I'd already booked him for tonight, but uh, I've been getting a text message uh, from a couple of people, and it says... A win for common sense. Minister Greg Hunt has now approved Australian Professor Thomas Borody's triple therapy combining ivermectin with zinc and doxycycline as a proven treatment against COVID. All people have to do is have their doctor email Professor Borody's Sydney office at the Centre for Digestive Diseases and request it. Please let others know. Now, um, I want to encourage everybody, whenever you get something like this, do not forward it. Do not forward it, do not share it until you have verified the original source uh, and or at least being able to attribute it to somebody who you know will have verified that source. I hope I can be that kind of person for you, that if I tell you something, uh, you know I've heard it, I might have to protect the source, um, but you know that, that I wouldn't repeat it unless I'd verified it. And so likewise, I wanted to share this information with you tonight. So I made a couple of phone calls to try and verify it. And uh, good news is Craig Kelly will be on the show uh, in about half an hour at uh, the 7.30 mark. And we will be able to get him to just chat with us about what therapies are available and uh, whether that um, text message is something that you can forward on. If, it, if we can, I'll put it as, as a post on the social media page. Well, um, Let's have a look. Now, something else I want to announce tonight is that um, Topher Field is going to be doing a show on The Good Source. He's doing his show anyway. We will be syndicating it and um, sharing it on The Good Source. So um, you'll be able to go straight to The Good Source Facebook page. You might be watching the show there already, or you might be on the Dave Pello page or YouTube channels. But go to the Good Source Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash Good Source News. And uh, there's a great show with Senator Malcolm Roberts on at uh, eight o'clock, straight after this show finishes. I'll actually be putting the comments up at that stage, uh, not on camera, not part of that show, but um, just helping produce it. Uh, so Topher's description says, forget the 10 second sound bites and out of context gotcha journalism. Uh, Topher likes his chats the same way he likes his cigars, slow, complex, and preferably with a little bit of spice to keep things interesting. No one can predict where a slow chat will go, but Topher and Malcolm share common interest in topics spanning from the Murray-Darling Basin Association, the Grad Bradfield Scheme, Human Rights, Climate Change, the Grand Solar Minimum, COVID-19, vaccines, lockdowns, the UN, and much more. Grab a mug of tea or something a little stronger if you prefer and settle in for a slow evening of thoughtful conversation as Topher enjoys a wide-ranging and unpredictable slow chat with Senator Malcolm Roberts. Now, you may be saying, you may be saying, who is Topher Field? And I'm very glad you asked that question. Topher has made, he's got a wonderful station and he's been uh, a channel YouTube. He's been making things really well, high level of cinematography for a, a long time. I'll just put me in full screen while I'm not showing anything. Um, and he's, look, take, he's got some business to run. He's got his family to look after. So he's uh, not full time anymore but he is hoping to do a regular Thursday night show and we might be able to organize between us to do them back to back so you don't have to choose. However, um, I'm going to show you something from Topher Field right now 
and it is so on point for what I think we should be talking about as uh, right thinking people. So let's go back to that. And oh, hang on, I did want to show you something extra. Right, I'm going to have to reshare this. Um, stop sharing screen and reshare it to make sure we've got some sound in here. Um, tab with audio, watch, share. All right, please, I'll be watching the comments. Let me know if you can't hear it. Aha. <coughs> I'm hoping you can all hear this. Have At you got sound? last, a dream come true. I've been waiting a long time for this. Mind you, judging by the invitation, I was expecting something a little fancier. Thank you, you confirmed. Um, you have an invitation? Yes, of course. You, you can't get in here without an invitation. Uh, Mr. Um, Stat. Ism. Statism, if you don't mind. Statism. Never heard of you. That is why I am so deadly. And who are you? <laughs> Only the deadliest pandemic in the history of mankind. Unprecedented, they called me. Well, I, I, am, I am a big fan of your work. You've killed 300 million people. I, if you don't mind me saying so, you aren't quite what I expected the bubonic plague to look like. The bubonic plague? Why does everyone keep saying bubonic plague? Oh, well, because you did say that you were the deadliest pandemic in the history of mankind, so... Not that one. Oh. The smallpox? No. Spanish flu? No. Plague of Justinian? Do I look like I'm 1,500 years old? It's HIV. Oh, for hell's sake, I'm COVID-19. You're... you're COVID-19? Ah. Yes. How many people have you killed? Nearly four million. Oh, yes. Ah, yes. Ah. You're not even in the top five. It's not even close. But I'm not finished yet. Neither am I. Fine. How many people have you killed, Mr. Statism? Stateism. One hundred million and counting. You what? One hundred million and counting. Second deadliest infectious disease in history. You're not an infectious disease. Oh, but I am. And actually, I, I should be thanking you. You're the reason I got this invitation. What, what even are you? Statism. I'm the cause of genocide, you know, when governments kill their own people. Like the Holocaust and stuff. Certainly, all the genocides, plus the man-made famines, all the political purges and all that stuff. You're a Nazi, and a communist, and a progressive, and a conservative, the whole lot. Anyone that wants to give the government more power is on my side. From Mao's Great Leap Forward to the War on Drugs, to the Spanish Inquisition. I bet you didn't expect that. How is any of that an infectious disease? That's where you come in. I've been arguing for centuries that an idea like statism is the most infectious disease of all. Sadly, despite my outstanding body count, my arguments were falling on deaf ears until you came along. I'm a proper infectious disease. I spread around the world and I'm killing people on every continent. Yes, but since you showed up, I've been spreading even faster. Thanks to you, governments have been given more power than ever before. And I am rather proud of this. Even in free countries where they thought they were immune to me. Governments in free countries aren't going to start killing their own people. That's the spirit. You've got nothing to worry about. That sort of thing can't happen here. We're a free country. Jolly good. I'm a real 
virus. I am mutating into new variants all the time and they are never going to be able to get rid of me. You and me both. But you're nearly finished. And I have a feeling that my best years are yet to come. Ah, Mr. Statism, welcome. We've been expecting you. Hi, I'm COVID-19. I, I think my invitation must have got stuck in the Suez Canal. I'm here to... Yes, so Topher will be uh, will be um, coming on at eight o'clock um, on the Good Source. So uh, make sure you jump onto that. Um, okay, entire screen, screen two, brilliant. Okay, we'll try and share the audio from that. Okay, well, um, I did a uh, impromptu video about this uh, not too long ago. That nearly. One in 10 Victorians seriously considered suicide during 2020 COVID lockdown. Of course, uh, some of these numbers are very delayed and uh, not um, up to date. Uh, there's no reason to think that that has changed at all. Um, nine out of the last 18 months, Victoria has been locked down. Uh, researchers survey, surveyed uh, 1,157 Victorians during September 2020 and found 33.4% reported symptoms of anxiety or depression and 26.3% reported burnout symptoms. Uh, the study, published in the peer-reviewed Journal of Psychiatric Research, found 9.5% of respondents reported seriously considering suicide in the past 30 days. Uh, that's, wow. I mean, how messed up does a population need to be when nine and a half percent, nearly one in 10 people are just in the last month seriously considering suicide. I mean, that is is just, uh, it, it's tragic. And, and mental health has always been a problem. But uh, yeah, so then we have um, over on RT, Australian health official flees press conference after question over spike in teen suicides as Victoria locks down again. This was uh, just two days ago. Victoria's chief health officer abruptly left the stage during a COVID-19 press conference when a reporter asked about a surge in suicides among teenage girls, only for a torrent of recriminations to engulf him on social media. After calling for a mental health commander to join the Victoria Premier Daniel Andrews, himself and other high-ranking health officials for the state's COVID-19 press conferences, Brett Sutton made a hasty exit from the podium when asked how the state planned to address a sharp increase in suicides among young people. Every suicide is a terrible tragedy, but let's not be speaking as if we can attribute with absolute certainty what motivated each of those tragic acts. Andrews said, opining that the rise in deaths may have been caused by many factors other than the COVID-19 lockdowns that have deprived Australians of the chance to work, travel, visit friends and family, and otherwise experience the joy in life. The alternative is that this goes on for longer and it is harsher, or we suffered, suffer hundreds of deaths, literally hundreds of deaths from coronavirus, Sutton had reasoned before his swift departure, arguing that not locking down would deliver worse outcomes. Well, I think that is incredibly stupid. We have literally hundreds of deaths from the flu each year. 
and we haven't had them for the last two years because the PCR tests have been showing every flu is coronavirus. Potentially, they've been so overclocked, they're not fit for purpose. Uh, but this is normal. This is entirely normal that people die from the flu, whether it's the Wuhan flu or the seasonal flu, influenza A or, or some other thing. It, it's those people that are extremely high at risk, which are normally killed by it. And literally hundreds of deaths is a normal response. In fact, something like 4,000 people die from the flu and flu-related pneumonia every year. Uh, this is normal in a population of 25 million people. What's not normal is putting people in a cage and calling it safety. I'll continue reading. Australia has had one of the toughest COVID-19 prevention regimes in the world, having earlier this month locked down the city of Melbourne for the sixth time. Previous lockdowns have seen public housing residents confined to their apartments, unable to even venture outside, cops patrolling the hallways of high-rises and groceries having to be delivered sporadically and less than fresh to the frazzled inhabitants. The heavy-handed restrictions won Andrews the ignominious name of Kim Jong-dan. Unlike Sutton, most Australians seem confident about where to place the blame for the soaring suicide rate among teen girls, linking the increase in deaths with the oppressive lockdowns. Genius. Remarking that the country deserved better, social media users demanded the authorities be held to account. Very unlikely. Many noted that the state government didn't seem to care about the dead and dying so much as the control measures their deaths could be used to justify. Uh, Dan, don't worry about suicide when we can get zero COVID cases. Uh, based on what science, Liesl asks. Uh, Chris says, will they ban smoking now? Yeah, hundreds of deaths a year, totally. It's um, def definitely. How gullible are Aussies, Cresho says. Well, the RT website continues. However, some were ready to defend Andrew's administration, arguing that the rise in suicides was instead the media's fault for encouraging dissent. Well, I half agree. I half agree. The absolute depths of despair and hopelessness and fear driving people to suicide are definitely the media's fault. They're absolutely complicit in the government policy, which is locking us down. Uh, and their proliferation of fear porn is nothing. I mean, what the media's fault for encouraging dissent? That is the media's job, you morons. Of course the media should be encouraging dissent. The media should be the ones dissenting. They're called the fourth estate because they're meant to hold the government to account. They're meant to scrutinise and criticise objectively and fairly, but I haven't seen any encouraging dissent from the media. All I've said, seen is homogenised, kowtowing as if they're state-controlled Chinese media. Encouraging dissent. Give me a break. Maybe one Sky program did that. In 2020, just one girl died by suicide in the first seven months of the year, while in 2021, eight have taken their own lives since January. This, that's girls. The shocking spike in suicides by young females was described by psychiatrist Patrick McGorry as a shadow pandemic exacerbated by the lockdown and the government's refusal to treat the issue with the same degree of urgency as it had COVID-19. 
A survey carried out last September during a lockdown found that 10% of Australians said seriously, which we just had a look at, at seriously considered suicide. While statistics released this week showed no overall increase in suicides in Victoria during the first eight months of 2021 compared with 2020, an already inflated year, the state acknowledged there had been a rise in suicides by teenage girls during that period and just teenage girls. That's a very small demographic. From January to August last year, look, we're going to move on. This is fairly obvious, uh, only a few minutes until... Um, we have Craig Kelly join us. Coronavirus, this is, uh, I think it was today's news. I think I shared that. Where's the, the date? Yeah, Thursday, August 19. Um, sorry, no, this is from the 16th of August. Um, coronavirus, parents deserve the truth on the danger of lockdowns. The Andrews government is engaged in a deliberate and dangerous cover-up of critical mental health data that Victorians, especially parents of teenagers, deserve to see. We know this because the government is refusing to release regular reports compiled by the Victorian Agency for Health Information detailing an explosion in mental health cases, including eating disorders, suicidal ideation, and self-harm treated by hospitals, psychiatrists, and GPs. So concerned is the government about keeping this data from Victorians that the VAHI's report covering February and March this year including included this warning to doctors. Quote, this report is provided to you as an authorised recipient. By accessing this report, you agree to keep the information confidential. If you've received this report in error, please destroy it. The Australian obtained two of those reports, including the 47-page Destroy It report, which confirm what excuse me, what many mental health experts, GPs and parents fear about the pandemic lockdown linked crisis. The report reveals soaring numbers of teenagers are self-harming, battling suicidal thoughts and suffering eating disorders. Why would the government be covering this up? Why would they be covering up? Look, I want to I want to get to talking about this just a little bit. Um, the government's Governments, plural, federal and state and territorial. The governments are behaving in a duplicitous, deceitful and untrustworthy manager manner. I wish they weren't. I wish they weren't. We should have learned this lesson as a culture, Western culture, in the 1955, in the 1950s. In 1955, the American government had kind of what we've got going on now, fear porn proliferating the nation about the disease polio. We are so often told by vaccine apologists, uh, <laughs> vaccine apologists who think a one-dimensional view of history proves that vaccines are wonderful, and they're absolutely right. There's been no polio in America since 1979. 1979 was the last time there was a case of polio domestically acquired in America. There's been no polio epidemics ever since then. But in 1950s and 40s and, and all through that, that century, the 20th century, from you know early 1900s up until the 1950s, polio was a horrible disease, killing thousands of people. And in 1950s, there was no greater public fear than of polio, save for a nuclear attack, a nuclear bomb. Uh, so polio was a, a greatly feared disease. And in 1955, with great trumpets and fanfare, 
the American government, the Surgeon General, their chief health officer, announced, ta-da, we've got a vaccine. It's a miracle. It's wonderful. Everybody rush out and get your children vaccinated. And the government began a mass vaccination program uh, of first and second graders in five states to start with. And very quickly, six children who had been vaccinated got polio. Does that mean vaccines are bad? No. In fact, the Surgeon General said, no relation here, nothing to see here at all, move along, uh, everything's fine, keep getting vaccinated. Over the next four weeks, they inoculated 200,000 first and second grade Americans. At the end of that month, at the end of the month of their vaccine rollout, they had to can the whole thing, pull it off the shelf, stop the rollout, destroy all the vaccines, because they had, out of 200,000, they had actually infected 40,000 people with polio. 10 children died, and something like 200 children were permanently paralyzed to one degree or another. Uh, trust the science, trust the chief health officer. It took them five years more to come up with a safe vaccine. And the vaccine did work. I'm not anti-vax. It's ridiculous I need to explain that like I'm not racist, I'm not homophobe, and I'm not Islamophobe. What a stupid label to attribute to somebody, and it's tragic that you need to explain that. Clearly, the polio vaccine worked because polio was gone by 1979, just 19 years after the vaccine was introduced successfully, eventually, in 1960. The lesson we learn from this is twofold. One, governments need to behave in a trustworthy manner. The Surgeon General just covered stuff up and was untrustworthy. Uh, <laughs> just trust us. Trust us, he says. Uh, the second thing is vaccine hesitance is good for your health. You actually should take time to make sure a vaccine is safe. If you think the risks are low, go ahead. I encourage you to have freedom of choice. But uh, you absolutely should not be mandating a vaccine which doesn't have final approvals. One of the things we learned in 1955 was the government has to um, behave in a trustworthy manager, manner and have more involvement in the vaccine production process. Uh, you know, we... We, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry I can't keep up with all the comments right now. Um, uh, my awesome volunteer who normally helps isn't, isn't here tonight. Um, um, here's a good one. Trust us, we are the single source of truth, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. Um, you know, the, um, this this number is this is interesting too. You need to tell us now how many people have died after receiving the COVID jab. It's hundreds more than ten. Look, um, and and this speaks to the government's untrustworthy behaviour. The paradigm, the metric, the standard they have set in reporting COVID deaths included people who died with COVID. If there was a COVID infection proximal to their death. That include pe that included uh, people who died in a motorbike crash. Uh, there is so many COVID deaths, which are totally, I mean, just this, um, just this last week or so, we had uh, the fear porn media trumpeting the fact that a 15-year-old had died with COVID. It, it took them a good half a day to start adding the detail that he actually died from um, pneumococcal meningitis, 
which has an 8% fatality, case fatality rate um, in children, uh, unlike COVID, which has a 03 to 0.4% fatality rate. The bottom line is that we need government to act in a trustworthy manner. For a start, APRA should not be censoring doctors, threatening them with deregistration if they question the science, debate the science and criticise the science. It doesn't undermine public confidence. It increases public confidence to have a fair, free and transparent debate. What does undermine confidence is when the science is opaque, the Surgeon General or the Chief Health Officer tells us to just trust the science when they won't tell us what the modelling includes and, and we have all kinds of censorship and shutdowns so that we're not even allowed to talk about it without being labelled as an anti-vaxxer, which is the new racist slash homophobe slash uh, climate sceptic. Well, somebody who knows all about censorship and all about uh, being shut down from debate is um, Craig Kelly, MP. Craig Kelly uh, is a federal member of our parliament representing an electorate in Sydney just near the Prime Minister's. And Facebook, <laughs> Facebook had the goal to take him off their platform, a sitting elected member of parliament facing a re-election and we have a foreign corporate interest uh, interfering in our elections. Well, uh, Craig Kelly has been fighting the good fight. That's why Facebook censored him and took him off. And right now he's putting a bill towards to the parliament to actually uh, talk about our rights and freedoms and address them and protect them so that the states can't mandate the vaccine. This is from the unions, and I'll just read the highlighted part so we can get back to Craig. Um, released yesterday, the unions of Queensland have said, Queensland construction unions oppose any blanket, no jab, no job laws, which would penalize workers and remove a person's right to make informed personal choices. Workers should not be punished for acting according to their own personal circumstances and conscience. Any employer found to be illegally coercing workers, however, will be dealt with by BTG unions to the full extent of the law. Well, hip, hip, hooray, and um, thank you to unions. I don't know that I and the CFMEU would have much in common very often, but on this, we are one. Welcome back, Craig Kelly. Um, How's that? Is that perception any better? Nice and loud and nice and smooth. It's fantastic. Great job. Yes, Worth persisting. Um, tell us about the private members bill. What does it achieve right. and um, what's it hope to achieve and how can we help? Okay, what I wanted to put into uh, before the parliament was legislation copied on what uh, Governor DeSantos had legislated in Florida that would simply make it uh, unlawful for there to be any form of domestic passport or any form of discrimination uh, in this country. It's, it's a very simple principle. I do not believe that when you go out uh, in public within the boundaries of Australia, that there should be some government official or someone there saying, show me your papers, show me your health papers, and you have Correct. to prove that you've had some medication or you haven't had some med medication. No Australian worker should be threatened to lose their job if they have or haven't had any uh, medication, let alone a, uh, a vaccination of a material that we know is experimental. Mm -hmm. We have no, you know, 
people, I've, I listen to people all day long on the television rabbit on about this, but the facts are that we have zero long-term safety data about these vaccines. And that's not an anti-vax position. I've had many vaccines, and if tomorrow if I went and trod on a rusty nail, I would rush out and get a tetanus vaccination. But because mm -hmm. we know those tetanus uh, vaccinations have safety data going back over 30 years. But the reality of life is these vaccinations do not have safety, long, any long-term safety data. And therefore, clearly, it should be an individual choice if someone wants to take it or doesn't want to take it. And yep. we shouldn't be forcing people to take it to keep their jobs. And you shouldn't yep. have to show your health papers to enter a nightclub or a football stadium or a cafe or a concert hall or the opera house or to get on a plane to fly in the state. Yep. To me, that's, that's not the type of Australia... Uh, that I want. So yeah. that's what I've got in the past. So it simply makes it makes two things. It makes discrimination uh, uh, based upon your uh, vaccination status illegal, and it mm -hmm. also pro it prohibits the Commonwealth from creating any type uh, of vaccine passport or vaccine documentation as well. So if my law, if this law was passed through Parliament, all these things we hear about. Um, I see you mentioned the CFMEU in Queensland, and <laughs> I tell you what. I don't think I've ever agreed with the CFMEU in my life, but on this one, I stand with the CFMEU together, hand yep. in hand. They're absolutely right. Yep. So if this law was passed through Parliament, uh, all this talk about vaccine passport would be end. And again, it's not something that um, I've uniquely crafted or created or some unique thing. It's based upon the law in the state of Florida. Brilliant. From Governor Sanders. So it's, 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 we've modelled it off that. And that's what we're putting towards the Australian Parliament. Now, the problem we've got at getting it through is that even though it's a, a bill, the government and the Prime Minister can decide whether, when, if or when that bill is brought on for debate and if and when the, um, it's brought on for a vote. Now, my concern is the Prime Minister doesn't seem to want to even debate these issues, let so alone have a vote on them. Now, let's, surely we can have the, this debate in Parliament this is an issue that's tearing the country apart. Yep. Now let's have the debate let's, and let's have it as a conscience vote on both sides of politics and let every member of parliament stand up and work out what side are they on. Are they on the side of freedom and liberty and individual rights or are they on the side of a coercion? That should be the test. Now I know there's many people on the liberal side of politics that would vote with me on this bill, but we're never going to find out unless the Prime Minister has the courage to put it before the Parliament and let it be debated. Yeah. No, 100% agree. Um, now, as to um, the alternative therapies that... Sorry, before I move on to alternative therapies, what can we do to support the bill? Well, what what help do we need, do you need from us? ...is to contact your local Member of Parliament and say, do you support Craig Kelly's No Vaccine Passport Bill? Will you uh, argue for it to be brought on for debate and a vote? Yep. They say no, or they give some obscure answer. Write to your member of parliament and if that's the case, at the next election, I will vote against you. All my friends and my family will vote against you. I'll actively campaign against you. I'll be donating money to your political opponents. Yep. And I'll use every effort, and I'll be handing out on election day with countless number of my friends to vote you out of parliament 
because you do not represent the Australian values that I would expect from my politicians to stand up for human rights and for my liberties and my freedoms. So in brief, we're asking, we're going to call our local MPs and ask them if they're supporting your bill, ask them to support your bill and uh, and promise to remove our support for them That's if right. they don't support us in this. And, and what your bill is seeking to achieve is banning vaccination mandates and vaccine passports. Is that is that a fair, that's simple it, reduction? It, so it doesn't stop. If someone wants to go and get uh, vaccinated, uh, uh, good luck to them. Uh, yep. But if someone doesn't, decides not to, for whatever reason, and there are many reasons, and there are many doctors, yep. there are many, I hear this on the medical advice, well, a lot of these politicians need to go and get a second opinion. Because yep. there's many, many of the... Um, Many of the doctors and medical specialists that I speak to have a completely different opinion to what these chief medical officers at the government are rolling out every single day. Yep. And I'll, I'll tell you what, and the, and the doctors <clears throat> that I've spoken to, I will back these international experts, I will back their qualifications and their expertise and their hands-on experience yep. against any medical bureaucrat that any government's federal or state can throw up. Yep. Now, I want to um, come back to that a little bit, but uh, this this text um, that's been doing the rounds, um, a win for common sense, Minister Greg Hunt has now approved the Australian Professor Thomas Borody's triple therapy combining ivermectin with zinc and doxycycline as a proven treatment against all COVID. All people have to do is um, have their doctor email Professor Borody's Sydney office and uh, request the protocol. Please let everyone know, um, is that great? Breaking news that we can um, share and confirm. It's, it's, firstly, it is a proven treatment. Uh, Professor Barodi released a paper uh, about three weeks ago, which he shows it unequivocally works. You've Brilliant. got experts from around the world showing that uh, uh, as a treatment, especially when it's combined with other drugs, that's ivermectin combined with other drugs, mm -hmm. unequivocally reduces the risk of infections, the risk of hospitalisation and the risk of death. I think that is anyone that disputes that is really, I think, causing harm to public health. Um, but the only thing is, I think the thing you are talking about is actually 12 months old. Yeah. Professor Barodi has been made, his press release was from August. I think that's where the, some of the confusion was in. People saw it uh, August um, and, and thought it was August this year when it was actually August 2020. Remember, yep. ivermectin is a, a lawfully available drug uh, under prescription in Australia. So doctors are able to prescribe ivermectin both for certain conditions and they're also able to prescribe it off-label. So yep. nothing, that, none of that has changed throughout the pandemic. Doctors are always able, if a doctor does his homework, does his research, speaks to other people like Professor Barodi, speaks to other doctors in America and around the world that are using this, I looks at the safety parameters and the doctor is free in Australia to say, hey, look, I think this is worth a try. Yep. Now, I've actually spoken to, yeah, I've spoken to my doctor, Craig, and he has uh, written me a prescription uh, for those preventative and um, reactive uh, treatments. Um, it's called a private prescription. And I asked him, would, would any doctor prescribe this? And he said, if you went to a doctor and asked them specifically for this with a private prescription, you won't get it on the PBS, you won't get it through Medicare, Correct. you'll have to pay full price, but it's off patent, so it's super cheap. Yes. Um, 
he said he can't imagine any reason why a doctor wouldn't. So, uh, guys, I encourage you, if you have comorbidities, have a chat to your GP um, and and ask for some of these. Um, we'll, we'll put some... I, as a politician, and this is what frustrates me, I see many politicians coming out giving medical advice about what people should be treated with. I've never given anyone any medical advice other than to consult your doctors right. and do your own research and speak to it. Now, when it comes to you talking about ivermectin as a prophylaxis, that means to prevent you getting that the illness. There's something like 19 studies into this, and all 19 of them show that it's highly effective to prevent people getting yep. infected by COVID. Now, this is the next thing I want to talk to you about. We, we've got a government right now uh, which is fighting the good fight, waging the war and all those highly evocative, manipulative metaphors uh, justifying emergency powers to abuse the nation. Um, and they're investing money at any cost and extreme to, to find treatments and therapies. I, I find it really hard to take them seriously when they say they want our health. Mm. Uh, okay, I... Let me let me just give you an example on that. Sorry, moment. I've got a. You right? Um, okay, I just had background noise in there from uh, from the next show we're doing with Topher Field. Sorry, I had to mute it, mm -hmm. uh, but that's all. That's all done now. Apologies. Hey, yeah. Can I just give you an example of what you're talking about there? Okay. Now we in New South Wales we hear oh we want to reduce the number of hospitalizations and we want to reduce the number of people in the ICU. Now we've had uh, I think during this latest um, round, I think since about the 1st of June, something like 6,000 to 7,000 uh, COVID-positive cases for about 450-plus hospitalizations. I think there's about 50-odd people in the ICU. In Southern California, there's a doctor that runs a series of cases, Dr. George uh, Brian Tyson and George Farid. They've treated 6,000 COVID patients. So they've got a Whereabouts are they? In Southern California. Okay. They've treated 6,000 COVID patients. So not, remember, New South Wales, we've got around six or 7,000 total positive cases. And I would assume many of those asymptomatic that aren't even sick. But Dr. Tyson and Dr. Freed have had 6,000 patients come to their clinic that have said, I've got COVID, what early treatment can you give me? Mm. They have had, remember, we've had over 450 hospitalizations, uh, over 50 people in the ICU. Because we don't use it, we, our health bureaucrats don't recognize uh, early treatment, mm. which is, again, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamin C and D. Okay? Dr. Tyson and Dr. Farid use early treatment. They have had just four hospitalizations out of 6,000 people. Wow. Out of 6,000 cases. A hundred times less than what we've had in New South Wales. And our health bureaucrats are not listening to people like yeah. Brian and, and Tyson, not listening the, to their experience and thinking, no, we know best. And these clowns, I'm sorry right. to use the word clowns, because that's what they are. And we've got that's 400 polite. people in hospital. Look, it, it's, it's the thing for me that smacks of dishonesty and untrustworthiness. When people ask me to trust the government, ask me to try, and then they go and, and they just turn a blind eye, won't even consider um, the these alternative therapies. And they're not alternative therapies. They're just not patented therapies. They're off-patent and they're cheap. They're still pharmaceuticals. 
Um, and what we know about them is we have long-term safety data for off-label use. This is what we know about them. At the very least, I think the government should be saying, please have a conversation with your doctor. If you can be taking these preventatively, we should try everything we can because we mean it when we say we want to eliminate COVID. Um, and I just don't believe them when they refuse to look at all options, including those that are off patent, affordable, with long-term safety this, data. This, I'll be honest, this is one of the greatest disgraces and greatest policy failures in our nation's history. That's correct. If we, if we had been using, if we look at the data and we look at the success many other places around the world have had, look at places like Uttar Pradesh, how they've crushed their COVID curve. We all saw, oh, India, how terrible COVID was over there, how it was out of control. Uttar Pradesh, I think, earlier this week, had just 17 new cases and one death. That's a place with a pop. That's a state with a population of two hundred and thirty million people, and they use they roll ivermectin out. They've mm. got a something like six six point seven percent population percent of the population fully vaccinated. So they have crushed their COVID curve. They have de defeated COVID, the Delta variant, not with the vaccines, but with these early treatments, which our bureaucrats won't even discuss. It is an outrage. Yep. It is a disgrace. These lockdowns would be unnecessary if we were using ivermectin-based treatments that have been recommended, right? Not by Craig Kelly, but been recommended by Australia's, you see there, Australia's internationally renowned professor Tom Barodi, twelve mm. months ago. That's absolutely right. And in the meantime, what they are using as policy is a sledgehammer a sledgehammer which is smashing uh, mental health, uh, exacerbating people with pre-existing um, problems and creating a whole heap more problems where they didn't exist before. Uh, blood stocks were critically... I spoke to Campbell Newman uh, a couple of weeks ago and he'd just been made aware of an email from a, a hospital director telling their doctors not to use blood because nobody was going to the blood bank. Look, he, he's... Here's what the, the real problem I have, and I question the competency of these people. Whatever policy um, situation you are doing or recommending, you always have to look at the unintended consequences, the collateral damage, right. uh, cost-benefit analysis, whatever you want to call it, of any policy. Right? Now, at the moment, we've got this... We have these press conferences daily, which I feel like throwing stuff at the television when I watch them. Yeah, and they come on and they mumble, we have X number of COVID cases today, we have X number of people in hospital, and that's all they talk about. Now, mm -hmm. okay, if, if you're having these lockdowns and you think these lockdowns are justified, tell us how many, what you believe, how many COVID cases that you're avoiding, how many hospitalisations you're avoiding, how many deaths you're avoiding, right? And then if you used early treatment, what would that come back? Now, on the other hand, what are the costs of these lockdowns? What is the economic cost to start with? How many in the years, that, how much, we were now over a trillion dollars in debt in this nation. Yep. That's a million, that's a million millions in debt. That's all going to be repaid and with interest. So that means in the years and decades to come, we'll have less money for hospitals and less money for schools because they'll have to go to repaying the money that we are spending now. What's the cost of that? What's the cost of the damage to children's education? missing out on so much education. What is the damage to mental health? 
What is the yep. cost of the suicides? What is the cost of the bankruptcies? What is the cost of people having postponed getting their uh, other illnesses diagnosed and treated? What are yep. all these costs in society? We're obviously, it looks like the economy is going to be pushed into recession because of these government policies. We know yep. when you have a recession that you get increased mental health, people lose their jobs, you have increased suicide rates. What are all the costs of these lockdown policies? And then show me, show me where you believe that the benefits outweigh the outweigh the costs. And they have a listen um, because they're not doing it. Have a listen to this that I wrote a year ago uh, with the, the red bits uh, hyperlinked with references and resources. Uh, prior to the latest round of home detention, remember this is August last year, uh, those models estimated suicides could rise by 750 to 1,500 deaths per year with rural and regional areas suffering the most. According to a statement from Beyond Blue, quote, through July, as Victoria reintroduced stage three restrictions in some locations, contacts about anxiety spiked 50% and contacts about depression doubled 200%. Data, not expert guesses, collected in England shows attendance at hospital emergency departments has halved since the pandemic was announced, causing their health systems leaders to urge people to get treatment. They are deeply concerned that people who are suffering serious problems such as strokes and heart attacks today are failing to seek treatment. The lockdown is adversely affecting children's health too. According to a leaked NHS email, doctors are even reporting children coming in late with ruptured appendixes and blood poisoning. There's been a huge reduction in cancer screenings. Richard Sullivan, a professor of cancer and global health at King's College London, warned the impact on years of lost life could be quite dramatic given cancer patients tend to be younger than those dying of coronavirus. Later diagnoses for conditions like cancer may not show up in death figures for another year or two. By the way, Craig, your picture's upside down right now. I know, I'll just put a quick little bit of charge on the phone. There we go, we should be... Oh, okay, okay. okay. Uh, Keep charging, you've got another minute. (laughs) Analysis by the Institute for Fiscal Studies notes a 1%, this is what you were saying, Craig, made me open up this article, Mm -hmm. a 1% drop in in employment, a 1% drop in employment leads to a 2% increase in chronic conditions such as obesity and diabetes, affecting the poorest in society the most. But as long as they don't die this year of or with coronavirus, right? Yeah. This is this is the appalling... Uh, you still got me on the screen? Yep, we can see you. Good, okay. This is the appalling situation we've got. There is no analysis of this data and there is no comparison to make sure that the cost of these lockdowns outweigh uh, the benefits, and I think if you add in uh, what you can achieve through early treatment, which has been shown by the medical evidence, by the peer-reviewed science, by practical examples of Dr. Tyson and Dr. Farid, by real-life examples of places like Uttar Pradesh and Mexico and places in Peru and South America that have used these treatments, if you look at all those things, there is no way I could see you could even go close that the benefits uh, of these lockdowns would outweigh the risks. But we're yep. not even having the debate. Absolutely right. We can't even have the debate. <clears throat> Every time I go on somewhere, that I pick up the newspaper, or Craig Kelly spreading COVID misinformation. I say, I'll debate anybody, anytime, any place. Bring all your experts. I'll bring yep. my experts as well. And let's have a debate and let the Australian public decide. But as yep. you said, we've got this app for a group. I've spoken to many doctors that think we are doing exactly the wrong thing, but here they're silenced. Yep. If they speak out and say, I think the government's doing the wrong thing, they lose their licence and their livelihood. 
Yeah, hundred percent. How is that a democratic society? Craig Kelly, uh, you can find him on Telegram. Craig Kelly, is that the best place you like to um, be putting out information, Craig? I had, a, I had a great Facebook page. I, I was, had a, well hundred thousand people find the Facebook page. It was wow. the most followed political page in the country. I was really? getting over a million. Uh, I was getting over a million interactions a month. So that's wow. not That's just views. A million likes, shares, or comments a month. Uh, and Facebook didn't like what I was saying. So um, we've got the situation where a foreign, as you said, a foreign tech billionaire oh, man, that's... is able to censor an Australian politician. Yeah, it's foreign political inf interference and it's more overt and obvious and not, not a theory like the Russian collusion hoax. This is, this is the real deal. Um, but you're up to 27,000 followers there now. So, guys, get on Telegram and follow Craig Kelly. Um, Craig, thank you so much for your private members, Bill. We will be calling our local politicians and pressuring them to uh, to support it or um, find a new job at the next election. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks, Dave. We've got to fight. Fighting is important. Speak to Indeed, um, for the sake of for the sake of others, not ourselves, um, for this nation. Thank you very much, sir, and have a good night. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Dave. All the best. Bye bye. Well, that was Craig Kelly. Uh, what a hero. Um, I just love somebody who's prepared to... I mean, he has sacrificed his career for the sake of his his um, convictions. That's what I want a parliament full of, people who will f fight for what they believe in, tell us what they believe in, and not play games, uh, not play silly games. Uh, look, I, I want to trust the government. I want to believe the government. I'm not an anarchist. I believe we need some small government uh, but they are just behaving in such an corrupt, untrustworthy way. Look, we have to go. Uh, you can follow me on Telegram, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube still, all of those places, at Dave Pello. Uh, you will find true um, source of information here where we try to be honest, um, dispel myths and fake news that come from our side or theirs. If you can be part of supporting that, I'd be super grateful. Just head to goodsource.news forward slash support uh, and uh, make sure you send your stories of hurt and suffering to me. I want to tell those stories. These are the things that are going to change the minds of those people who have got fingers in their ears when it comes to the Constitution, uh, science and, and just basic morality. Um, and uh, appreciate your watching tonight. Head over to the Good Source Facebook page now and uh, we will be jumping straight into the live show where this conversation can continue with uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts and hosted by Topher Field. That's it for tonight. Uh, here is the outro, and uh, I look forward to seeing you next week, same time, um, or right now on Topher Field Show. Good night. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.